Are you seeking a better way to accelerate your sales, to scale your business, to live a life with no limits? Accelerate Sales Podcast features global experts who have cracked the code to recurring revenues with proven sales systems and get you on the fast track to scaling. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. You're going to learn three key things today. One is partner integration best practices. The second is future of those integrations. And the third thing is, should you go in-house or third party to build your integrations team? If you're a first-time listener and you love what you hear, please subscribe. If you're a regular, always open to those reviews. Those Apple reviews are the ones that I enjoy the most. Uh, Please take notes wherever you're listening. You might be walking, riding, whatever it is. Uh, But we do have an excellent little summary in our show notes. So it'll be on the app that you're listening to now, and then you can get more detailed, including you can get the full transcription at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And before we go into our interview with Ryan today, I'd just like to uh, mention two of our key sponsors. One is the Cloud Consultants Collective. So it's a free Slack community where like-minded peers, cloud consultants share best practices on how they're scaling. So it's very sales and marketing focused. And you can go to cloudconsultantscollective.com for that. All these links are going to be in the show notes. The next one is SendSpark. So if you love using video but haven't really integrated into your sales process, SendSpark's perfect for you. It's uh, got great ways of personalizing its scale. It's also uh, got excellent analytics, and I highly recommend it. And you can get actually six months free if you go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash send spark. So that's send spark. And uh, yeah, you can get six months free, which is a pretty good deal. So our guest today is Ryan, and he's a co-founder and CEO of Blended Edge, which helps software companies, so SaaS companies, do and deliver integrations faster and easier. And in a previous life, he was actually selling and implementing Adobe Marketing Cloud into enterprise. So he brings a lot of that experience to you as well. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Ryan Lunkart from blendededge.com. Great to have you here, Ryan. And uh, the questions that I always start with the first one is, you know, who do you love to work with? Awesome, Paul. I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, so at Blended Edge, we love to work with uh, really growth stage or scale-up stage software companies, um, usually selling enterprise software um, and, and and helping them build out the platform that they're going to produce integrations on for, for their customers and for their partners. Um, and that's a really complicated, expensive, difficult problem for pretty much any software company who gets to the scale where they start dealing with the big versions of those questions, not just how do I build this one one-off integration. And so um, we really like helping them parse through the, the nuances of that problem and, and build a right strategy for it and obviously execute from a technology perspective. Great. And, and, and what are some of those, you know, Large SaaS companies. What what are the some of the headaches they've got? What are some of the the challenges that that uh, they're typically facing? Well, one of the probably the most universal one is 
everybody has a backlog of integration requests a mile long and nobody knows how they're going to find the time or the resources to do it. Uh, many of them, again, especially when you're up marketing the enterprise require uh, a lot of intimate knowledge of the external system you're integrating to. So you just have this big soup of demand and you don't really have a good way to deliver on it. Um, and there's a lot of different strategies you can use to deliver on it. But honestly, a lot of companies, even at you know pretty large scale companies, are starting from you know level one of understanding what the possibilities are there. Yeah, and and look, because I know that it's you know when we I ran a cloud consulting business, you know there was always an integration that I wanted that well the customer wanted I should say that that wasn't wasn't there right, and you sort of had you know mm-hmm. the integration tools like you know Zapier, Integramat, etc., but it was never never as good as a, a native one, right? Um, so yeah, Tom, sort of take us through how does a how do you and a SaaS um, platform decide the order of priority, right? Because there's, I don't know, there's 9,300, you know, MarTech softwares alone, I think. And, you know, if you add the sales ones on top of that, it's, you know, tens of thousands. Like, yeah, yeah how, crazy. Do they, how do you help them do that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, keep in mind, so my typical customer is one step removed from, from the audience for this podcast, generally yeah. speaking, but I'll get to why they're related, right? So yes. we're helping a software company figure out how to deal with that that backlog. And one way to think about that is sort of categorizing, again, for the software company, categorizing the different integration opportunities according to how important they are for their ecosystem strategy. So you're going to have a bundle of them that we call ecosystem imperative. And these are the ones that are done, no brainers. If you're going to market and you don't have them, then you are at a disadvantage because your competitor probably does. Um, For a lot of companies, that's something like a Salesforce integration or a Shopify integration or a NetSuite integration. Um, They tend to be integrations to the big boys in the ecosystem. Um, Next, you have ecosystem important. And these are ones that aren't necessarily required, but especially at scale, you probably want to have, or at the very least, you need to have a really good answer for how you're going to provide for your customers. And then you kind of go down from there. When you start to get into those middle categories, like important ones and, and ones that Maybe you're not worth investing in yourself as a product company, um, but you still want to be able to say yes to your customers. Then you'll start to leverage, among other you know, strategies, um, VARs or uh, SIs who are the ones who are implementing your software, giving them the tools or giving them the ability to provide those integrations on your behalf so that it's not just a no, sorry, we don't have that, see you later kind of an answer for your customers. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know, um, you know, you'll, you know, the people that are listening, you who's listening or watching at the moment, you know, probably are doing some of those integrations on behalf to to expedite things. So, what should they, you know, what's some best practices that you've seen so that they can do it, you know, less time, better quality, and uh, and lower lower cost. Yeah, so I mean, honestly, a lot of them are the same best practices that we would uh, share with an internal product team building out the integrations themselves. Um, I think the, the first one that's probably a little different is if you're if you're a reseller or you're implementing software on somebody else's behalf and integration is part of that, you should really seek to learn and embrace whatever they have provided you from a developer experience perspective or from a partner experience. And that's the API is kind of the first part of that. 
but there's the API, there's the documentation, there's SDKs that come around it, there's sandbox environments. Like a company who really does this well should provide sort of a full stack developer experience for your team to be able to do that effectively. And it's probably in your interest to, to use it, learn it, adopt it instead of working around it. And, and sometimes you do have to work around it if it doesn't work very well, but um, try to try to embrace the way that they want you to integrate to them because it'll probably reduce a lot of friction. Um, and, and just quick that, on, sorry, just okay, quickly on that, Ryan, is, you know, does that differ a lot? So, so for example, if I'm, you know, Salesforce, I'm HubSpot, I'm Zoho, like, is it, yeah, is the margin is it fairly tight? So therefore it's not taking you as long to learn each of them or are they, you know, very unique and therefore different by platform? Yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the weasel answer and say it's somewhere in the middle. So, <laughs> you know, it, they're not vastly different. I mean, like an API is an API. Yeah. Conceptually, it's always the same thing. Um, and then there's some general best practices about how API should be structured and how you should properly document their behavior and, you know, what does an SDK generally look like? And ideally, SDKs anymore are generated code. They're not handwritten. Um, but the nature of the type of product you're integrating to probably will dictate differences. Yeah. Um, so, you know, something like um, cloud system, cloud application or cloud systems, I should say, not applications that are available on like AWS are going to have a very different developer experience than interacting with the Shopify API, which I use Shopify a lot because that's a very popular e-commerce platform or the HubSpot API, which probably looks a lot more like Shopify. So in one case, just the ethos of how you integrate it is, is going to be different. So in one case, you're going to have a lot more of like a CLI heavy engineering type of a, of a focus versus, you know, probably something like HubSpot is going to be a little bit more business friendly, a little bit more marketing friendly. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, it's about the same thing. Um, ideally, you know, some of these larger companies are starting to pr provide integration tooling for you to use. And that's where I'm kind of saying, use their tools because their tools are built and optimized to provide integration to their system. Don't try to use something else if you don't have a specific reason to do so. Great. What are some other best practices, tips? Yeah. Uh, you know, one that I think a lot of people miss on pretty much right out of the gate is is don't think about integration as like a reactive um, one-off thing because you're going to have a million of these one-offs. It's going to happen over and over and over again. So from the get-go, be, be building a methodology for how you deliver integration projects effectively. Uh, integrations are this funny thing where uh, um, nobody really wants to pay for them. They will because they know that they're valuable. But if you sell a throwing arbitrary numbers out there, a $50,000 integration project that turns into a $150,000 or $300,000 project, people get really, really upset about the fact that they're overspending on the thing that ultimately is providing them value. And integration projects do have a tendency when they're not managed well to really, really spin out of control and, and have orders of magnitude cost problems on them. So having a, a regimented process that you execute every single time. Now, obviously there's Flexibility points there because every project's a little bit different, but having a discipline for it, um, improving on the discipline over time, having that discipline be rooted in best practices of how you do integration, um, that'll help to smooth the the variations from project to project. It'll help you 
not guarantee success, but have a higher percentage chance that you have a successful integration project. Yeah. And, and who, you know, and you can tell um, that I don't have a lot of experience in the back end. So when we ran our business, I did the strategy, the sales, the marketing, that was my, and then I had a business partner that did all the technical. So some of these questions for you listening might be, God, that's a bit basic, but I'm, no, just bear with me for a moment because I know Ryan's got so much value to share. But as far as, you know, pricing those projects, you know, is it fixed? Is it, you know, variable? Like what, what are some of the tips around the pricing knowing that, yeah, not every project goes to plan? Yeah, man, that's a big question. It really depends on, one, how effectively you can deliver the value you need to. Um I don't recommend pricing fixed fee projects until you can reliably predict what the costs are going to be for yourself because you don't want to be underselling them or underbidding them. Um, but at the same time, it's really hard for a customer to swallow sort of an open-ended time and materials-based engagement. That isn't even really the core thing that they want. Remember, they wanted the product that's being integrated, not the integration itself. So yes. an open-ended checkbook on that is, is a tough pill to swallow. Um, it's really a balancing act. Either either pricing methodology or variations thereof can be successful. Um, I think the biggest thing that's important is making sure that the customer understands, one, the value they're getting out of it, and two, understands what the finish line looks like. So that doesn't feel like this never-ending time suck and, and budget suck, because they shouldn't be that way. And if you can help them see the vision for where where you're going with it, then it should smooth that out. And how much maintenance is needed after you've done the initial integration? Is it like do it once, that's it, or do these things continue to break? Uh, Something more than zero maintenance. Um, Even the most well-managed APIs have problems and and have updates over time. And sometimes those are breaking changes, although a well-managed API shouldn't do that very often. Um, if it's if it's a kind of a goofy API or one that's maybe not managed with best practices, the risks are higher there. Um, so part of your, certainly your support methodology, but is also the technology you use to provide the integration um, should factor in how it gets babysat, basically. Um, you need to see that data is flowing in either or both directions uh, with as close to 100% success as possible. I mean, your customer wants 100%. And I know in, in software terms, that's not really realistic, which is why you have 99.999 is like a, a goal for most people. But as far as they're concerned, it better always work. And so you need something that helps you bubble up the um, exceptions when they happen. You're going to have a million times it worked right, and you're going to have one time it didn't, and that's going to be your problem child. So surfacing that as quickly and as efficiently as possible is a really important part of how you keep these things maintained. And if you have a good process for that and a good technology for that, it actually isn't that hard. You just have to you have to think through what are those possibilities of failure and make sure that you've configured your tool to expose them, and then make sure your support team or whoever you have providing that level of support is educated on what to do about it. Um, and, yeah. And, and working with the product teams, right? They're, they're incredibly busy. So let's say you've got, you've got a, a, a question you want answered, you know, any, any best practices or tips around, you know, how do you get through to the, to a, a human in the product team that's actually going to help you navigate your integration? Yeah. It, it might depend to some extent on, what the developer relationship 
uh, initiatives are for that for that company. DevRel for sure is a is is kind of a growing and popular topic um, for for software companies, especially ones that build products that are meant to uh, interface with developers through APIs and stuff like that. Um, sometimes there will be they'll set up a forum with you know internal people that are kind of assigned to answering questions on a regular basis. Sometimes there'll be a Slack channel you can join. Sometimes just developers at whatever.com. Like there's a lot of different strategies that companies will take here. So trying to work with them in the way that they want to be worked with is a good start. Um, I'd also say just building the relationships with people. And that's everybody from like a frontline customer service person who might be fielding your questions at first to if you have an opportunity to meet the product manager and work directly with them or even you know somebody at an executive level. Um, making friends, being friendly, providing feedback, even when it's, it's, it's negative feedback, but doing it in a constructive way is going to help build a much more productive relationship. I can tell you, nobody wants to hear a product team who already is having a hard time managing these types of things does not want to hear how terrible their integration is or how terrible their API is. Uh, it's probably not going to get you real high on their list of people to help. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, uh, you know, anyone that I've ever spoken to when customer service, you know, I've always said, you know, I'm sure, you know, people hassle about this all the time, you know. Yeah, like mm-hmm. make, make that call where they're like, oh, what? This person's not attacking me? This is this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're actually treating me as a person rather than offloading my uh, experiences. And, and, and I know that, you know, you sold – uh, marketing cloud, you know, you sold uh, Adobe, et cetera, into enterprise. What were some of the, the lessons you learned yourself from selling, you know, SaaS products into, into enterprise? Yeah, well, back in the, the days that I was selling or, or working for a firm that sold the Adobe platform, um, we were, I think we were a reseller. We we're at least an implementation partner. I don't remember exactly what the relationship was, but um, I would kind of play the role of the solution engineer a lot in the sales process. And because those are large enterprise sales, um, they're long sales cycles. They're complicated. Usually, we were selling alongside of Adobe, for instance. So there'd be an Adobe account rep who sort of had the primary ownership of the relationship. But knowing that uh, their professional services team most of the time isn't who was going to get the product implemented, built, customized, integrated to other systems, et cetera. They would bring somebody like our company in pretty early and we work alongside them to kind of co-sell our services with their product. Um, And because we, as the implementation partners, ended up being the people who were going to make all those dreams come true that the Adobe sales rep set for the, for the customer. Um, had to start to demonstrate that ability early and often. Um, so, you know, you're, you're almost in a solution engineering perspective, starting the project uh, and starting and you're setting the uh, tone for how it's going to go later by how much you oversell or undersell. Um, so, I, you know, in terms of best practices, though, honestly, it's I've always found that be open about what uh, is a little bit of a stretch, but you're going to try to take on versus saying that everything's just out of the box and works magically. Um, Being able to articulate why things are hard and or why they don't work the way it's expected to non-technical stakeholders is really important. And and likewise, being able to bridge that conversation with the technical stakeholders. And, you know, when you're selling in an enterprise, you might be in a room with 20 different people across the organization that have different versions of technical or non-technical involvement. 
Um, so being able to communicate all that stuff clearly helps to build consensus and um, make sure you're successful. I, I don't know that it's anything other than just general good practice when you're in the software industry. Um, don't, don't be a jerk. <laughs> don't lie. Do the best you can and be transparent with what you're doing. And, and you know, generally you're going to be successful there. Yeah, look, and, you know, I spent 18 years doing enterprise sales, uh, Coca-Cola, and, and really, you know, the software industry and Coca-Cola is very similar. You've got the SaaS owner that typically does the brand, the marketing, and the product, and then you've got the the bottler, we used to call it, that goes and does everything else, right? So uh, very similar, and that's why I've, I've loved the move from that industry into to this one. And um, we used to use something called a, a blue sheet. It was um, strategic selling. And it the, the fundamental was make sure that you, you know, you, you understand every stakeholder in it because sometimes you'll, you know, you'll miss someone and that that's the miss that'll cost you time. And then what's their business results, their personal results. I think it's really important. And then the the last one is a coach. Right, so who's the coach that that they need you to be successful in that organisation, and they'll do some of the heavy lifting to help you navigate that. I think you know whether you're selling software or whether you're selling coke, it's really not too different. And if you can find that coach, then life becomes uh, really easy. So that's the way that we did it, and I still you know use that same philosophy. Someone all you know, like there's. Someone in procurement, I said, have you spoken to someone in procurement yet? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, there you go. There's a red flag, right? Procurement are going to be yeah. a key part of this decision, et cetera. Right? And I'm sure you got that experience. And and for you, oh, yeah. where, where's where's the integrations going? Like I said, you know, it's like there's SaaS being spat out every day, right? There's so, so many more products. Where do you... You know, is there a, a going to be a, a, a major shift in the market that it'll all of a sudden become easier or do you think it's going to stay uh, relatively the same for the next, you know, three to five years? Well, nothing ever goes as fast as I or most people want it to. But um, I do think we're going through a pretty fundamental shift on how integrations are done, why they're done the ways they're done, and what tools are available to, to get them done. Um, so... I'm going to sidetrack for a second to give some context for why I believe what's happening is happening. Um, the last time I read a study about this, and this was a few years ago, so I actually suspect it's out of date now. Um, the average uh, business user, to use a just general term, uses at least eight pieces of software every single day. Yeah. Um, now, the vast majority of them are SaaS. I can't remember if that was specifically eight pieces of SaaS software. Um, I suspect it's probably close to double that by now. I mean, I think yeah. that's stats four or five years old now. Yeah. So if you are selling a software product, you have to start from the perspective that that's the world you're selling into. And product teams tend to be very inwardly focused and my product, and we're going to optimize this thing in my, in, in this workflow in our screens and all that kind of stuff. But your customer is not thinking single product. Your customer is thinking cross product. For anybody's customer to do their job, they're going to have a whole bunch of software products and their workflows are going to traverse across them. Um, and, and, and for them to be optimal at their job, they're going to have to figure out how all these things piece together. Um, we use the word cross product experience to describe that. Yes. So software teams are starting to learn that. Um, and we're hoping to provide more vocabulary for them to use and how they do that. But there's, there's new practices emerging for it. And likewise, you're starting to see 
the emergence of a focus on building ecosystems and the ecosystem strategy. And so all of these things are kind of coalescing, you know, around the growth of partnership teams and software companies and these co-selling models with partners that are kind of required anymore to, to be successful at scale. Um, and, and putting different demand, they're putting different demands on what integration needs to look like. And so again, the product we build is looking at what's happening there. And we're trying to basically build a next generation integration product that serves that need because yes. today you're either custom building integrations or you are using a piece of software that was not built in a world where all these things are happening. It was built five years ago or 10 years ago, yes. which technically under the hood, yes, you're pulling data in and out of APIs and it's kind of fundamentally doing the same thing, but the way you use it and the way it kind of presents itself for use don't really meet the realities of the new ecosystem driven world. So that was a mouthful, <laughs> but that's kind of what's happening in this space. And I think where we're going to end up eventually everybody is going to get very good at this. I think we're no less than five years out, probably more like 10 to 20 years out before this really, really just permeates the entire software industry. And it's, it's as basic as word processing. But yes. I think what you'll eventually get to is that there are these constantly overlapping software ecosystems that are well-connected with one another. And so putting together a software technology stack as an end user is is much more assumed to be doable. You don't have to go through these complicated conversations about how we're going to make X talk to Y because the industry itself is sort of an interconnected mesh of different software products. Yeah, yeah, and and if um, I suppose some of the challenges that I hear my clients say, and you may be facing this, listening or, or watching now, is you know, should I build in-house capability or should I use an external team that just focuses purely on on integrations, you know, there's a great Zoho uh, partner that is in our community where that's all they do, right, is help HubSpot, part, uh, sorry, Zoho partners do the integrations. You know, what's your experience? What's your view on do you build it in internal or, or do you use an external? Because uh, I'm sure people at the moment are facing those decisions. Yeah, and I'm, it's interesting timing. I'm actually writing a, a Medium post on almost this exact topic right now. So I have a pretty strong opinion on this. Um, there are a lot of software products right now that provide integration and then teams that do it as a service. And often those two overlap as well yeah. um, that are integration experts kind of as the middlemen, right? Yeah. And, and that whole classic class of services and products probably doesn't actually have to exist if all the software teams themselves are able to provide native connectivity from their products, right? That they are, they are out there filling a gap because software product teams have failed to provide this sort of global connectivity in part of the, in their product out of the box. Yeah. So it's required somebody else to sit in the middle and help from a software or a services perspective over time. That's going to dissipate. It's never going to be zero because there's always going to be edge yes. cases and, and long tail requirements to be filled. But the vast majority of the time, they're doing, you know, Salesforce to SAP integration, things that are done a million times over and over and over again. And really, those things shouldn't have to exist as a third party service. And you're actually starting to see a lot of those middlemen. I don't mean to say that in a way that's derogatory, it's just they are in between two business systems, are starting to pivot their offerings to helping the software solutions themselves build that native connectivity. And and sort of shifting their focus there because that's where the market's going. Eventually, there aren't there isn't going to be such a huge need for the middleman, 
And to answer your question directly, that means that, yeah, you should be building a capability in-house. And it, it's not always going to look exactly like the next team's capability, but it's, it's not acceptable in 2022 to say, yeah, we don't do integration. We don't care about integration. That's not our problem. You won't be successful anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great answer and great, great way to transition into our deep dive. So I'm going to ask you four questions and get your rapid responses on that. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Great. So what are some daily sales habits you do to accelerate your sales? Yeah. Well, I take it with a grain of salt. I don't know that I would claim to be the, the expert in sales in the world here, but um Honestly, I find the most effective sales tool for, for me and for us is just building really strong relationships. Um, now, particularly, we don't have a very transactional sales process. We have a lot of um, long cycles and we have to build a lot of trust before somebody will allow us to come in and, and take over a fundamental part of what they do. Um, so constantly beating the drum of meeting new people and building a relationship, even if we never work together or even if we don't work together for three more years, um, and just building momentum around there is probably the best thing that we do to, to try to build sales. Yeah, great. And uh, technology, right? You're, you're, you're not short of technology options, but what's some technology that helps you to accelerate your sales? Uh, kind of building on that, anything that helps facilitate that relationship. So we, like we do use HubSpot as a CRM and a marketing tool. Um, I, I wouldn't say we're like crazy power users of it. But we do a lot of inbound um, content generation and try to do follow up on that. And that's we use that tool for it. Um, and then heavy users of LinkedIn, um, heavy users of Slack, because a lot of communities are coalescing in Slack channels. So just really anything that facilitates at scale that one to one connection with the types of people we want to be working with um, is a tool that's that's top of mind for me. Right. And you you talked about LinkedIn. Now, is that your best source of leads or you got other sources of leads? I'd say we're about um, half inbound. And honestly, LinkedIn probably plays a part in that, but I don't think it's solely, uh, I think it's a combination of search through our blog and inbound through LinkedIn and stuff like that. So we're probably about half that and half just like, I don't want to call it outbound, but like relationship-based um, yeah lead generation where we're out in the community, we're trying to provide value and that builds into a relationship that becomes a commercial partnership. Yeah, great. And uh, the last question is the big one. So what is one action we can take from today to uh, 10X our sales? Uh, I want to make sure I answer this question in a way that's specifically relevant to to your audience. Um, I would say you have a real opportunity to separate yourself from the pack by very confidently and very repeatedly delivering the integration portions of your projects well um, and, and being able to bring a methodology to your customers to say, here's how we're going to make sure this part of the project that you don't want to have to do is going to be successful and as minimally painful as possible is going to really help you um, uh, probably stand out from everybody else who is just, you know, it's a line item on the invoice, but that's about all. Yeah, well, that's uh, brilliant. Well, well summed up. And uh, it's been a joy having you on today, Ryan. And um, people can find out more about your blog like you you do, whether it's Medium or your own internal blog. Let's go to your own internal blog at blendededge.com forward slash blog. All those links will be in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, great having you on today, Ryan. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. Now, I know the quality of this interview wasn't 100%. Ryan had a little issues with his 
uh, internet, but um, you know, I hope it's good enough for you to learn key things. And I took away, you know, how to use those developer tools for integrations. Um, you know, how do you develop the in-house skills, and also, you know, how SaaS integrations are going to play out with more SaaS companies doing native, which I'm sure you and I will all enjoy. And um, you know, if you found something really useful, which I'm sure you would from what Ryan said, just share it on LinkedIn. Just um, copy him or at mention him in his profile. He would love that. And you can find out more by going to blendededge.com forward slash blog. He actually has some brilliant uh, blog content on integrations. Uh, Ryan does it better than most. And uh, yeah, please, you know, sign up to that newsletter. Uh, you'll love it. The other thing is there's going to be a summary uh, in the app that you're listening to now. Then you can get the full links, everything you need to know at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And why be greedy and keep it to yourself? Why not share it, right? So one, 10, how many people that you know that is really looking for information on integrations they're either doing it themselves and want to improve or they're looking at going in-house versus a third party? Why not share it? with them and check out our solo shows don't forget that free slack community if you're a cloud consultant at cloud consult cloud consultants collective.com uh, i call it ccc but i couldn't get the domain and uh, next week's guest is marcel pet pop and they're going to be talking about improving profitability which is super important and i'm sure you're going to love that okay thanks everyone bye i'm fired up after today's episode what about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. Head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.